family happy this retreat could happen. Uh, my name is Sharon Salzberg, and I'm one of the co-founders of this place. We began it uh, in 1976. And I went up to Hyde, to the main campus in January. It was, as you probably know, really, really, really cold here. And uh, I got an invitation to go up to Hyde and to lead a day of practice for uh, some of the faculty there. And uh, so I went there where it was even colder. And I was staying with a friend of mine who's a Hyde parent, and they put us up in um, that beautiful new building for parents where the heat went off. So we had to leave and and go stay in a hotel. Uh, That was my experience of Hyde. I didn't get to meet any students that day, but um, it was really a great day, and I'm very happy that we have the opportunity to welcome you here now. Um, As Lisa probably mentioned, the schedule that we've created will evolve through the days um, with your input and our experience and we'll uh, be able to to be creative with it as it as it emerges in addition to the people that Eddie already introduced there are a few people who are going to be helping in this retreat uh, one is a woman named Susan who will be teaching yoga every afternoon uh, one is a man named Rodney who just flew in from Seattle and is kind of jet-lagged. And one is a woman named Sumi who just flew in from Korea and is really jet-lagged. So uh, they'll all be here tomorrow. And Martina, who's um, one of our staff people here in the kitchen staff who, who will also be participating and leading the retreat. So uh, all of us together would really like to welcome you. And um, we'll try to be really brief tonight because I hear you're really exhausted, at least some of you are. Uh, so I'll turn it over, I think, to Eddie, right? Hello again. Uh, as you've been introduced, my name's Eddie. And I have a Similar history in terms of Sharon, I was here on the day IMS opened and was involved in the early uh, growth of the center, have participated on the board of directors, and uh, in that capacity, I want to welcome you here. It's a great joy to be with young people sitting here. Uh, two weeks ago, we had a what we refer to as a young adults retreat here, where we had 53 teenagers from uh, 14 to 19 participate in a program uh, uh, which we're learning about how to do well here in terms of outreach and creating a space and a safe environment for young people to be able to learn about meditation and practice. Uh, this tradition here in terms of uh, now evolving to programs where we're reaching out to young people started uh, many years at the beginning of this uh, creation of this center where a number of people like Sharon and others traveled to Asia to uh, gain insight into meditation practice and brought it back with them. And at that time, parents and friends of these friends of mine and people who were traveling had no idea what was going on. And what we decided to do was to have a retreat for parents and friends of meditators to try and explain to them what the motivation and intention was for uh, looking for inspiration and insight, particularly in the East, and what is it about meditation practice and this particular form that's inspiring to all of us. Um, that lasted, I believe, two or three years, and what grew out of it was a family retreat where we had uh, basically at the beginnings a camp-like experience for young people, and Jenna was here when she was very young, 
I have three boys, and they all, we came for 12 years, where it was very young kids, uh, parents, and giving the parents a time for spaciousness and silence and taking care of the children in in this environment. Uh, What grew from there is what I just referred to as the Young Adults Retreat, which is this uh, bringing in of teenagers, basically, and creating a safe environment from there. Now many of those have graduated from that program are in the age group from 20 to 30, and we've created a mentor program, mentor-mentee program, where older meditators, people who've been practicing for a long time, are sharing their experience in a course over a longer period of time with practitioners, young practitioners. And so we see the need and the interest in involving young people in this experience. Uh, for myself, I was born and raised in the Bronx in New York, so this is, this is a long way from home if you want to look at it in that context. But I had my own uh, search and process for coming to practice and working with Insight. I've been practicing 35, almost 40 years, um, and it is a great joy to be here with you to share some of those insights and some of those practice and to allow you to experience some of the silence and some of the um, depth of experience that we, we share here with young people. So I hope you enjoy yourselves um, and appreciate what we have to offer and be here together in a spirit of harmony and creativity. So welcome again, and I look forward to practicing with you. So my name is Gina Sharp, and I want to add my welcome to Eddie's and to Lisa's and Sharon's. So it's going to stay. Um, I've been uh, practicing here at IMS for many years also, and uh, I must say that it's a very different uh, experience to have a retreat like this in which uh, we don't have intensive silence, but we have a combination of silence and, um, and, and processing and, and talking and getting to know each other's thoughts and reflections. So we're going to be learning along with you um, exactly how, how to do this best so that you get a really good idea and um, impression of what this, the practice is that we do at IMS. So I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about uh, just why we do the practice, and to just give you a really very, very short introduction. We're all trying to not keep you too late because we know that you've been traveling and that uh, you just want to settle in. There's a set of rules that I'd like to read and uh, a conclusion about them uh, first. So if you can start the day without caffeine or pep pills, if you can be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when loved ones are too busy to give you time, if you can overlook when people take things out on you when through no fault of yours something goes wrong, 
if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without alcohol, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, then you're probably a dog. Some, a lot of spam comes on the internet, but every once in a while a jewel comes through. (laughs) And I I like that because um, it essentially addresses uh, a very deep issue in in a humorous way, obviously. And that is that we're all human beings with frailties and failings and faults, and with some very deep questions about why we're here and what we're doing and what it means to be born into a human body with a mind and a body and a heart and to be born and born into a place, this planet where there's injustice and poverty and cruelty and hardship And after we do all of that, after we come here for a while, we're born into a vulnerable body as a child and become adolescents, and very quickly, before we know it, we become old, and then we die. That's the reward. So what does it mean, all of this? Nothing seems to be able to stop that process. So what does it mean to have a mind? What does it mean to have a body? What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be you? And in all of that, where is happiness to be found? So it's, we start there with the acknowledgement of the difficulty of being here, being human, being in a body with a mind, in a world that many times, often, seems quite upside down. And that's where we start with our practice. We start acknowledging that, that things are difficult. And this practice of awareness that we do is a way of establishing a clarity of mind in the midst of all of that. We find ourselves in life with a cascading mind, you know, thoughts coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, and we never seem to be able to just stop and see what the process is and what the nature of this mind and body are. So this practice of awareness that we do, this practice that we call insight meditation, is a way of slowing down, of stopping, of letting the winds of the mind quiet down, even for just a short while. It's like, um, it's like the wind on the surface of a pond. You know, when the wind whips a pond up, if you've ever seen it, all of the mud from the bottom 
gets whipped up with it. And if you try to look through it, it's very cloudy and unclear. But as the wind settles and the silt falls to the bottom of the pond, when you look through, you see clearly. This process of meditation that we do has a similar effect. It helps us to get the mind, not so much that it stops doing what it does very well, which is think, but it creates a space, it creates a stillness and a space in which we are able to look through and to look into uh, its nature. And perhaps we don't find the age-old answers that human beings have been seeking through the millennia and the, the centuries of how to stop war and greed and prejudice and injustice and poverty. But we begin to see that all of the forces that drive those things in the world also are forces in our own minds. And we also begin to see that not only are those forces in our minds, but also the forces of love and kindness and compassion and clarity and ease and mercy and justice. As we begin to see that, it begins to become clear to us how we can live a life that is filled with those qualities and that as we live a life that uh, emphasizes those qualities, that the world around us, we may not solve the larger problems in the world. God knows that the history of the world has been what it has been, and there may not be a whole lot of hope that it will ever change. But certainly, from, from a... Um, an individual point of view. We can change our minds. We can change the way we live in our own minds and in our our own bodies. And we can change the way that we relate to each other. And so we change the world in that way from the inside out. And that's the basic premise on uh, on which we base our practice. The practice is not um, about convincing anyone of a dogma or changing our minds from one set of beliefs to another set of beliefs. That's not what it's about. It's about seeing clearly what is the very nature of who we are right where we are. So we can relax slow down, take advantage of this week in which you will have um, a lessened um, level of responsibility, even despite your yogi jobs and the other um, activities that you'll be engaged in. You can take advantage of being in this beautiful place and 
being taught and given the opportunity to uh, establish a practice in which we slow down and we begin to look more clearly at where we are, who we are, and begin to answer some of the questions, not by being told what the answers are, but by seeing them for ourselves, by seeing clearly um, for ourselves where we are. We, in, a, in effect, dive into an ocean of truth, the truth of our experience, and get some of those answers for ourselves. It's also not about divorcing ourselves from life, but coming more fully into life and laying a foundation for our practice uh, is, comes through the five precepts that, uh, that Lisa mentioned in her talk. And uh, Sharon will talk to us a little bit about uh, those five precepts, their training precepts for how we live. Uh, yeah, so since you've been running around and, and doing a lot of uh, energetic things and getting yourself settled, and now we've been sitting for a little while, uh, I, we thought maybe we'd just do about five minutes of stretching the body. So if you want to just get up from, from your seats. Can you hear me in the back? So just stand for a moment and feel the earth beneath your feet. Well, feel the linoleum or the fabric <laughs> beneath your feet. But just recognize that you're connected to the earth even though we're not touching it directly. And just close your eyes for a moment. And just feel what it's like to stand here with the air touching your skin. Perhaps there, there are places where your clothing touch your body, touches your body. Where your lips meet, there's contact between those. Where your upper lid closes on your lower lid. And just notice that you're breathing. open your eyes and just move our heads uh, very slowly forward as if we're nodding yes four times slowly forward and back come back to the middle and then look to the left. And then come back to the center. And look to the right. Back to the center. And do that four times. Four movements. 
and slowly make small circles with your head from the front. Align your ear with, the, with your right shoulder and then to the back. Align your ear with the left shoulder and then to the front. And do that four times. center and just bring your shoulders up and then down up down up down up down and if you'll just bend your knees and a couple of about six of these, just let your arms swing. You can hit your shoulders, you can hit your hips. Let your whole head go with it. Let it rip. When you're ready, come back to the center. And if you'll bend your knees again, put your hands on your hips, and we're gonna just do small circles with our hips. Just moving the hips, letting the ribs, the rib cage be as quiet as it can be, and just moving the hips, little circles, and then the other way. Don't be shy, it's okay. We're all looking silly. When you've done about six of those, come back to the center. And just rest for a moment. And just take a couple of deep breaths. And then bend your knees again. Put your hands on your knees, and we're going to make little circles with our knees, about six of them. And then we're going to come back the other way. Come on up. Just stretch up. Breath, and then put your arm, your interlace your fingers behind you. And if you can, just come down slowly. If you need to bend your knees, that's okay. Bring your arms down. You can touch the floor, that's fine. If not, just grab your ankle. Let your head. Hang. Take, take a couple of deep breaths. And then slowly come up. If you want to put your hands on your hips to help you up, that's fine. 
one more time, just reach up. Reach back, interlace your fingers, and come on down again. Take a couple of deep breaths while you're down. Then come to standing. Feel the contact of the feet with the floor. And just what it feels like to be standing here on this earth right now. Thank you, Gina. So Eddie mentioned um, the retreat we used to have here in the early part of our uh, existence called the Parents' Retreat. And the way that came to be was that uh, many people like myself, had gone off to Asia. I went to India in 1970 when I was 18 years old uh, to learn how to meditate. And when we came back, people found that their family members were uh, extremely freaked out about this thing that they were doing. And these were different days in the culture where I would be in some social situation perhaps and somebody would say to me, what do you do? And I'd say, I teach meditation, and they'd kind of sidle away, like, that is so weird. And this is a very different time. Just a few weeks ago, I was at a conference of uh, neuroscientists and neurologists and uh, physicians and psychologists, all of whom were doing research into meditation and the various uh, ways it actually changes our brain and um, the kinds of uh, healing potential it has for one's immune system, and just on and on. It was, it was a very uh, notable moment for me to see that the culture has really changed. But this is way back when, when um, this whole generation of parents basically were having to face the uh, seemingly strange thing that their children were doing. And from the very beginning of my acquaintance with meditation, it was really laid out in very pragmatic and practical terms. It wasn't anything too esoteric. It certainly wasn't anything um, kind of religious or dogmatic. You know, as, as Gina said, um, my first teachers were all grounded in Buddhism, and that was the language they used and the imagery and the metaphors, but nothing about the practice was ever about becoming a Buddhist. 
it was all about, you know, as Gina said, just finding yourself and your own kind of distinct potential and um, your potential for qualities that may not have been the way you were trained uh, in the culture and your family, but that exist inside you nonetheless. And so it was always very direct and pragmatic and I think really nothing to be afraid of, but this was a whole generation of people who were um, really unaccustomed to the idea of meditation. So they were they were very frightened by what their children were doing. And somebody said to us, well, why don't you have a retreat for these people? And and that was interesting, you know, kind of gathering a lot of hostile, frightened people together and, and trying to explain meditation in a way that, that wouldn't be offensive. And um, I remember the first morning of the retreat at breakfast, I was sitting with a colleague of mine named Joseph, and uh, one of the parents leaned across the table and said to him, you've kidnapped my daughter and you've brainwashed her and it's not going to happen to me. So that was sort of the general tone of the retreat at least at the beginning, before people got a chance to have an experience. And one of the things that struck me so much about that retreat was the climate in which the people had obviously been living, because people would come into the meditation hall with all their stuff. They would just have piles of stuff because they were afraid to leave it in their rooms. And, um, and people kept locking their doors. And of course, we don't have keys. You know, they'd press the button as they were as they were leaving the room, and they would close it, and someone would have to run around looking for a master key to try to open it up. And, and it was so striking to me how people so often live, you know, with that feeling of not being safe and not being in a community that's in any way uh, protective or respectful. And, and that was true for them, but it has been our dedication from the beginning in coming here together on retreat to try to create communities that are safe and that, that do cherish one another and oneself and where people have enough respect for themselves um, and for the group to live according to certain ethical guidelines. And so that's what these five precepts are. Um, they uh, really just cover our time here in a way so that our energy isn't, isn't wasted and isn't diverted, and so that we have the chance to step away from perhaps old patterns and to experience ourselves and one another in a different way. You can almost see meditation as a kind of skills training, which it is. You know, First of all, we're developing the skill of concentration. Most of us experience our minds as being pretty fragmented and uh, distracted or scattered so that we try to focus on something or contemplate something or if we're meditating, we try to meditate on the object of meditation and we're gone. We're just gone. In a very classic beginning meditation object, which we'll start with tonight and then much more tomorrow, is just to sit down and feel your breath. And most people think, I mean, I certainly thought, I mean, I had gone all the way to India to learn how to meditate, and the first instruction I got was sit down and feel your breath, and I thought, that's stupid, you know? Anybody can do that. But to my amazement, it wasn't so easy. It wasn't 80, 90, 100, 1,000 breaths in a row. It was one or two, and I was gone. My mind would jump back into the past, maybe to some time 
Maybe I should have spoken out, but I was too frightened, or I blurted something out when I should have kept quiet, and I'm filled with regret about that, or, or my mind jumps forward into the future, creating a scenario that has not happened and may never happen, and bearing the anxiety of that. So most of us experience ourselves that way. We're pretty scattered. And one of the, the great tools of meditation is learning how to recognize that, first of all, and then to gather our energy back, to actually practice the art of being uh, steadier and more centered. And another skill we develop in meditation is mindfulness. It's probably the heart essence of this kind of practice, where we actually can pay attention to what's going on. Instead of having our, our vision of what's happening to us, either emotionally or physically or in relationship to one another, having our vision distorted by the intrusion of bias. You know, maybe we've always been afraid of a certain kind of situation, and so something reminds us of that, and fear comes up, and our perception is, is all confused, or um, anything like that. And we'll go into a lot more details about that. The way the habits of our mind might keep us confined in a rut or in a feeling of being enclosed or confined. And when we learn how to be more mindful, we have a sense of openness, not just being stuck in the same habits. We can see things in a new way. And then the third skill, the third great skill you might say, is loving kindness or compassion, where maybe we have the habit of judging ourselves really harshly and getting very down on ourselves and Um, kind of unreasonably demanding, and we learn not to do that, which doesn't mean that we're lazy, but it means we have a very different space or spirit from which we approach change and and how we change, and and we bring that same spirit to looking at others so that there's much more of a feeling of connection instead of exclusion and and judgment. So these, these three skills are all based in some way on this ethical basis. It's, it's actually living in a way that is increasingly honoring ourselves and our own potential and is kind and, and much more compassionate as we relate to others. And um, the five precepts for the time that we're here are undertaking a precept not to kill any living being, and that includes bugs and and creatures we hate ordinarily um if you possibly can just try to brush them off you know instead of smash them um there's a precept the way it literally reads is to um not take that which has not been offered or not been given which is usually translated as not stealing you know and here i come back to those poor people in the parents retreat with all their stuff you know and wouldn't it be incredible to know we don't have to do that and that we can have that that sense of trust? Uh, a deeper meaning of that is having a spirit of contentment, really honoring what is offered to us and, and being with it in a way. Uh, we undertake a precept not to engage in sexual activity during the course of the retreat really to use all of our energy in that kind of investigation of understanding ourselves in a different way, not to be distracted. And we undertake a precept not to lie, which here we also deepen 
in a way, for those periods of silence. And silence is very interesting. We'll talk much more about it tomorrow. Um, But almost always when people are about to go into retreat, silence is the one thing they feel the strangest about. But almost always at the end of the retreat, people point to the periods of having been silent as one of the greatest gifts because it's like for once in our lives we can be a little quiet and we don't have to present ourselves to the world in a certain way, like, oh, aren't I interesting or or whatever. We can just be with ourselves in our own experience. So the precept not to lie, um, which in itself is is subtle. We tell lots of little lies and exaggerations and you know half-truths and, and being much more conscious of that also extends into maintaining certain periods of silence. And then we undertake a commitment not to uh, take recreational drugs or alcohol um, at all and to really use the power of one's own mind in this exploration, not to be relying on external substances, although that doesn't include you know, prescription drugs or things that you might need to take. Um, so what we're going to do now in a, a kind of formal way is, is Jenna's going to lead the chant in Pali, which is the language of the original Buddhist texts, um, for the, the formal undertaking of the precepts. And then we'll have a short meditation period, which I'll guide, and then you'll be able to go sleep. So, the mic. going to do, you You guys have the words in front of you. Um, V's sound like W's, so you'll notice that. And um, I'm just going to do one word at a time and you can repeat them back. Panatipata Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Adina Dana Where Amini Sikapadam Samadiami Kamesu Micharachara where amani sikaparam samadhyami musawada where amani sikaparam samadhyami Sura Maraya Maja Pamadatana Veramani Sikaparam Samadhyami
Okay, we're going to do a really short meditation period. Um, and then, uh, has someone talked about the schedule for tomorrow morning? Okay, we'll do that too. Okay. Uh, the first thing about sitting is that you're going to need to experiment. It's totally fine to sit on a chair. It's great if you want to sit on the ground. Usually you need to experiment with how many cushions you sit on. Um, Generally speaking, if possible, you want your knees to be touching the ground so that uh, it'll be a little easier to maintain the posture. And if that's not possible, don't worry about it. But uh, as you get the opportunity to pile on cushions, you you can experiment with the height at which you're sitting. Sometimes people sit with their legs crossed in front, sometimes with their legs behind, um, propped up on cushions. And uh, tomorrow in the yoga, you know, Susan will also emphasize postures that will help for, for the sitting posture. But if you could just sit comfortably and see if you can have your back be straight. Sometimes people will visualize like a brick wall behind them and starting from their lowest vertebrae, one by one, just raise your vertebrae up against the wall and relax. That way you won't be stiff or overarched, but your back will be straight which helps keep you more awake, which is a very big help, and also will help the breath be more natural. And close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that. If you have a meditation practice that involves keeping your eyes open, that's fine. And if you start to get really sleepy, it's a good idea to open your eyes, and you can just continue on with your eyes open. Very often we begin just by the simple act of listening to sound. Because it's a way of moving into a felt sense of what it's like to be relaxed deep inside. To meet our experience, to be mindful of our experience as it comes and goes. Without feeling we need to change it. So even as we like certain sounds and we don't like others, we don't have to rush out to hold on to them or push them away. The sound of my voice or other external sounds, it's almost like it's washing through you. Let it come, let it go. And bring your attention to feeling your body sitting, whatever sensations you may discover. See if you can feel your back, even if it's not leaning back against something. We can be so sort of forward-oriented, we don't even realize we have a back. But if you put your attention there, awareness will fill your whole body.
then let your attention settle on the feeling of the breath, wherever you feel it most distinctly. The in and out movement of air at the nostrils or the rising, falling movement at your chest or your abdomen. Just let your mind rest there. And see if you can feel just one breath. Without concern for what's already gone by, and without leaning forward for even the very next breath, just this one. And if you like, you can make a quiet mental notation of in and out, or rising, falling, to support your awareness of the breath. Let your mind rest in the sensations. if you find your attention has wandered, you've slipped off the breath and gone to the past or gone to the future, gone to judgment or gone to speculation, don't worry about it. That's actually the magic moment of meditation when you realize your mind has wandered. Because that's the moment when you have the opportunity to be different. Not to judge yourself and not get down on yourself, but to gently let go and bring your attention back. You can go back to listening to sound if you like, feeling your body, then come to the breath. If you have to let go and begin again thousands of times, it's fine.
So this room is always open, it's always available if you're not sleepy now or if you want to um, come back, you know, at some point um, before uh, going to sleep. You're really welcome to do that. Um, We ask that uh, you do maintain silence from the end of the evening's program, which is usually around 9.30, um, through the night and tomorrow morning up until breakfast. After that, it'll be um, through breakfast. Since we're all living here together, I, you know, if not everyone isn't silent, no one's going to get any sleep. So that's really important. Tomorrow morning's schedule, um, there's a wake-up bell at 7 a.m. and breakfast is served at 7.30. Um, I don't know if you... Uh, since there weren't so many tours, if you got the lay of the land and saw all you saw where to get the dishes and stuff for for breakfast, there's also a hot water machine in the dining room that's always available, so you can always get tea anytime that you want. Um, and uh, there'll be a work period after the breakfast, and then we'll meet back here in the hall at 9.30 for instructions, questions and answers, uh, more sitting practice, and then some walking meditation practice. If you like, um, tomorrow morning, uh, if you want to get up at 7 and come into the hall for meditation, there will be somebody here to lead it before breakfast. And then in later mornings, um, there'll be a a wake-up bell more like 6.30, which some of you may wish to ignore and some of you may want to get up for sitting at 7 o'clock. That'll be optional. But um, for tomorrow morning, the wake-up bell will be at at 7, and the first uh, sitting is totally optional, you know, if you can wander in here sometime after 7. And then at 7.30, there'll be breakfast. And again, we'll meet here at 9.30. Okay, do you have any questions? Uh-huh. No, it's fine. Actually, thank you for asking that. It's fine to, to read and it's fine to journal. We, uh, When we do uh, intensive silent retreats, which are silent, basically the silent from this moment until the very end of the retreat, we ask, pe- we ask people not to um, read a lot because one of the things we find is that uh, moving away from our own experience can be much more entertaining than staying with it. You know, and, and so people often will seek a kind of refuge in reading rather than being with what's going on for them. But but that doesn't really apply to retreats, you know, which aren't completely silent from the beginning till the end. It's funny, too, when I said that people, some people are, are mostly concerned about the silence. When I first went on retreat, the thing that concerned me the most was not reading. I thought, that's impossible. I couldn't bear it. And you'll see... Um, if you come here for an, you know, one of those intensive retreats, the people will stand in front of the bulletin board and stare at it because they have nothing else to read. And it doesn't change that often. You know, It's like sometimes there's a note or something that goes up there, but 
people will just stand there and read the same thing over and over again because we hunger for that so much, you know. Yeah, Bill. <laughs> 